At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's time to get up, get out, and get back after it. Getting after it also means giving your exhausted muscles what they need to properly recover game after game. That's why real ballers choose to recover with low-fat chocolate milk. Not only is low-fat chocolate milk delicious, it's got the right mix of protein and carbs, scientifically proven to refuel exhausted muscles. So get after it and posterize the competition with low-fat chocolate milk. Check out the science at builtwithchocolatemilk.com. All right, we have so much news that is piled up here. And then we got to do, of course, the remaining four teams from the West we didn't get to last night on what became the 11-90 in 90 with Mia under the weather. So we'll see how this goes here. Why don't we start with the latest in the Markel Fultz drama in Philly. The Athletic had a long piece, uh, Jared Weiss, uh, Dirk Bodner, talking about the Fultz issues and even mentioning that they went back to those workouts that he had with the Boston Celtics it was also reported for the first time that he had knee surgery after his season at Washington and that it was recommended that he have a meniscus surgery and said they had some sort of a surgery on the back of the knee I had heard that he had had a a surgery but I'm not really the type to report things like that necessarily. So Fultz decides, well, he's going to go see a shoulder specialist. There are reports that he's got all this like numbness and tingling in his hands. And that the reason he had that ridiculous free throw routine was just so that he wouldn't uh, feel any of that as he was trying to bring the ball up. And all this extremely troubling, of course, he's now away from the team. Keith Pompey recording or reporting that Fultz is no longer in the Sixers long-term plan and they're not going to use his shoulder anymore as an excuse for his performances they have found that there is no issue at all with the shoulder medically but he's going to meet with some specialists all during this week uh and he's been away from the team since then coincidentally this decision came when he was taken out of the rotation for tj mcconnell in the second half of a game and uh with the sixers in a new mode now with jimmy butler perhaps the writing was on the wall we talked extensively about Fultz's trade value this can't be helping it at all uh anything you want to add it to this saga here well i guess the thing that's most salient to mention is that reporting from pompey that he might not be in their plans that was something you and i talked about was what we kind of saw the writing on the wall but we didn't know how the organization felt and this is the first real sign that the organization might be more in line with us and fultz does have that lucrative already picked up option for next year so that means if they were to trade him team has to be willing to handle that there are certainly teams that will be but what the sixers would want in one of those trades and how that happens whether it happens at the deadline or, or even ne- next offseason, you know, all that's going to be going to be complicated. And we can jump from there to another fraught circumstance, this one much larger in terms of the scope within the team, and that's the Washington Wizards. I mean, the Wizards right now on Wednesday, basically it sounded like everybody on their team is available. They're going through this kind of crisis. And we we wondered when we did time to panic with them of how this next couple of weeks at that point were going to go. And the answer appears to be not well. Yeah, and uh... Woj reporting that everyone's available. Then Zach Lowe said on his podcast that Beal, the asking price is so high that he's not really functionally available. We'll talk much more about it. I think we, we need to spend at least, you know, 10 or more minutes talking about some of these complications in trading these guys and take a look at where this team is, what they might be able to get, where they go from here in the future. But definitely, you know, there's even some speculation that this report getting out there is just to like try to shake these guys up or whatever. But uh, there's also reports that Bradley Beal was yelling at Ernie Grunfeld about how he'd been dealing with this crap for seven years uh, during practice. I love the fact that all of these things that are being said in practice uh, are starting to get out now. That's uh, It's really uh, enjoyable. Uh, we can talk now about Alfred Payton, his first game back, I believe, from the 
that sprained ankle which cost him nearly a month sent him again to the sidelines a left small finger fracture he had surgery on that to miss four to six weeks and the Pels I mean I think when healthy you would have to say that they've looked better than anybody else in the west except the Warriors right now but they sit at 10 and 10 and AD missed the game that they lost to the aforementioned Wizards over the weekend they lost another one to the Knicks when he wasn't quite right with that hip injury so when they've had everybody or even when they've had everybody except for Peyton they look pretty formidable but uh that's uh, perpetually the problem with this team is depth and so you know they got to just try to figure out a way to keep their heads above water but you know they can't get the eighth seed they probably can't get the seventh seed assuming that Houston gets back on track here I mean they got to do better than that if they're hoping to win around uh I mean because the first round exit I mean it's hard to see AD sticking around after that uh what else we got here we can do some kind of pending return stuff so Courtney Lee thankfully is almost back he has been dealing with this neck issue and it looks like the pain is no longer an issue for him he practiced on Saturday that's good to see and his situation is important also beyond helping the Knicks in terms of their cap space the Knicks have been definitely feisty recently though they've been you know moderately feisty the whole year I've enjoyed watching them a lot and yeah that dunk by Emmanuel Moutier on Memphis where you know which was in like a key portion of the game they got a Steely came down and just I think that was his like I think it was like his third straight close game with a big play because he had those two defensive ones one against the Celtics one against I can't remember the other team I watched the game I just don't remember New Orleans that's it and and then he had the dunk on Garrett Temple it's funny that he's he's been effective like he looks pretty fat but like he's actually been like playing reasonably well though it's one of those things where I haven't looked at their stats in a couple of weeks so I feel bad saying that and then you you know because he's had like a couple of good games and then you look at the stats like they're not then all of a sudden you're like oh yeah he's shooting 20 percent from the field or something yeah Yeah. uh i that's what happened to me with jj berea last night (laughs) when we were talking about him uh so yeah and lee for his part says he still has some soreness with that neck he's going to try and make it through a couple of contact practices but he does say that it has been better uh where were you trying to go next sir well actually instead of staying on the injury front the interesting reporting that why the talks between miami and minnesota fell apart was not about the play involved that the reporting there now is that it was Josh Richardson, Kelly Olynyk, and a future first round pick going from Miami to Minnesota in exchange for Jimmy Butler. It's that Tom Thibodeau asked for $5 million in cash, which is about the maximum that can be involved in a trade. I can't remember the exact number Glenn for Taylor. this year. Yeah, and that's exactly what, what's important here is that is a non, largely a non-basketball thing. And if that's what scuttled that trade, I'm even more concerned about Minnesota off the court. I mean, they've looked better. We talked about this on the pod yesterday. But if Glenn Taylor is trying to use these moves to save money on t- like non, non-cap money, this is a, a challenge for them to deal with now maybe the thought we don't know what the exact iteration of the trade was maybe that would have put the wolves into the tax uh but that seems pretty unlikely and uh someone once told me that ownership is the greatest competitive advantage in the nba the bucks uh, have as expected uh, waived jody meeks uh he came off the suspended list they had to make a move at that point and did waive him although they kind of did meeks a, a solid by keeping him on the roster this long because then at least if he rejoins another team doesn't have to serve the suspension first and they actually got a little bit of savings uh, as well uh, by uh, the suspension coming off uh, their luxury tax calculations in indiana victor oladipo has now missed a fourth straight game he will not play tonight uh, against the jazz and worth noting that this all started against atlanta when he played on a back-to-back and played the first five minutes and then felt like he couldn't go so you have to question the idea that he they put him out there he plays five minutes and now he's going to miss four straight games after that like that decision didn't seem like a great one and you know something like a sore knee it's one of those things where you know you think of it as kind of like a fuel tank right where you're gonna have a a combat if you think of rest basically as like the fuel to keep the gauge above empty but if you continue to get soreness you can cause that gauge by playing a a bunch of times in a row to go down to where you know you really need a bunch of time to refill the tank as opposed to what managing the condition getting some 
some strategic time off can potentially keep you on the floor and for Oladipo I mean this is similar to last season when he missed I, I believe it was four games the good news is they've been able to keep afloat a little bit better without him uh Aaron Holiday has played well uh and they've got Tyreek Evans also so they, they've got more creation available than they had previously and we do expect to see Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis return with their ankle injuries uh, let's turn to Golden State now yeah a couple different reports out of Oakland one of them being from Logan Murdoch that DeMarcus Cousins the ex- expectation now after a meeting on Friday is that he will be back sometime after Christmas interestingly look the Murdoch's reporting has that Cousins was hoping to join the team during their road trip at the beginning of December but instead that is the timeline they agreed on and I loved this phrase that is in in the piece there have been no setbacks in the recovery process and the decision to push back Cousins target date was made so he can regain his conditioning and enter the lineup at peak form yeah I didn't view it as quite as damning as you did when we were talking earlier as you know that he hasn't really been taking care of himself uh i think it's more about they're trying to reintegrate steph and draymond back into the lineup first and they want to get back to playing well before you throw even another stressor in and it really it doesn't hurt them at all to wait like why not just wait you know let him get his conditioning back you know try to avoid this period where you know you're just going to play him five minutes a half or or something like that Uh, a warriors veteran was asked about how he looked in the scrimmage and the response was solid which which is okay you know i mean he's not gonna say it's bad uh not exactly a glowing report um you know i mean it really i think the view uh i think it was logan actually who uh, had that video of him scrimmaging that might have been almost a month ago now at this point so we really don't know how he how he looks how he's going to look at this point yet but i think it just you know there's no reason not to be as conservative as possible there uh draymond green has continued to be out with a, a toe sprain had an mri over the weekend as reported by chris haynes uh it showed a sprain that's good news at least that you know when a guy misses this much time with the toe as we've seen with kevin love you know maybe that can start to mean that surgery might be required uh but supposedly rest is what they need more of but again you really have to question the decision to bring him back with that toe sprain you know with steph out i think he wanted to come back and then obviously you know he played a bunch of minutes in that clippers game then he played a bunch of minutes in that houston game obviously he wanted to try to put that kd spat behind him by the way kd in what the fuck else is he gonna say news uh, told haynes that no the dream on green spat would not have any bearing on his free agency decision and i think that's all we got on the warriors here we also over the last week missed him but we just it just happened after we recorded that goran dragic had his knee drained and he's in the process of missing three games i don't know exactly where we are in that timeline but i mean certainly an important player and that's gotten into the question of miami needing creation even though josh Richardson is taking on greater role, just another point guard, something like that, especially because Tyler Johnson is still out as well. Deion Waiters is perpetually out, and they just need a little bit more, even with Dwayne Wade being back in the fold, of course. Yeah, and James Johnson has returned in the last three games, struggled at one of eight in uh, 27 minutes against the Bulls. They did at least win that one. Miami's going to be a team to watch. You know, this Dragic thing, this is a critical juncture. We certainly have seen them roar back from rough starts before with this group. But, you know, with no waiters, Dragic is really disappointed this year. His ongoing issues, you know, they really need more uh, from the 2018 All-Star wouldn't have been my selection there uh and so if they really decide to go in more of a tanking direction we've also seen that from this organization before uh when things didn't go well we thought that's what was going to happen uh, in 2016-17 instead they roared back uh with that 30 and 11 close but let's keep an eye on them if they continue to fall out of things uh, especially with this group kind of there could be a feeling it's run its course and major changes could occur in boston gordon hayward troublingly missed Saturday's game versus Dallas due to ankle soreness in that surgically repaired ankle. Uh, Jalen Brown is going to miss tonight. He's suffered a pretty rough fall late in that loss uh, to Dallas. The Celtics are 10 and 10. A lot of people writing pieces on uh, what's wrong uh, with the Celtics here at this point. But again, the Hayward thing is something to monitor if they're specifically listing it as ankle soreness rather than, oh, just precautionary rest, blah, blah. He came back. There were no restrictions. He's been playing the second most minutes on the team since those restrictions uh, were lifted so we'll, we'll have to watch closely the latest reporting is 
nothing yet that that i can see about him returning for their next matchup what else we got here charlotte is getting a couple of guys back tony parker returns on monday mkg does as well and something that was interesting in the reporting around tony parker is that it looked like it and i broadly support this with older players especially that they were precautionarily out he was didn't play on sunday when they played the atlanta hawks and Devonte graham was filled that backup role in his stead bleak monk was out there in the closing lineup and why that might be significant is that charlotte lost that game close and i you know it's a, it's a marathon not a sprint i'm not criticizing james brego for his decision but you know depending on how the eighth seed in the east point goes down to, if it goes down to the wire then we might end up thinking about things like this and that horrendous botched possession they had at the end of that game where they didn't even get a shot up and then atlanta came back basemore got a layup and they won the game hornets lost a close game yeah i think they've missed mkg as well you know they've had to play kaminsky as a backup center they've been shuffling between he and hernan gomez that haven't really been affected with either of those guys on the floor here in chicago larry markinen made it through controlled scrimmages with that bad elbow sprain that he he had that's kept him out for longer than the originally listed timetable he's supposed to have a full practice on tuesday it looks like probably early next week could be when he makes his season debut and chris dunn as well out four to six weeks originally with that mcl sprain looks like he could be back in the next couple of weeks as well in cleveland jr smith will be uh stepping away from the team uh, although it appears that it's not a given he's just going to get waived because of the structure of his contract he's grandfathered in under the old cba to where his three million guarantee next year Adel is like 18 million or whatever it is uh he can still be traded and count for salary at the full number so he could actually offer a team some salary relief if the Cavs decide they want to take on some bad money in the summer generally you can't do that anymore now with contracts under the new cba you count as outgoing at the full number but incoming you only count as the guaranteed portion that's not the case for smith's contract since it was signed in the summer of 2016 uh and he uh had a number of comments indicating that he thought they were tanking in uh an interview and uh that was the impetus to take him away and he hadn't been playing well anyway they got plenty of other guys there that they need to to get a look at and the Cavs actually won two straight against good teams uh hitting a crap load of long twos during that period uh and also i think they had assisted on something like you know 35 of 100 field goals or something like like 30 percent of their field goals in these last two wins you know they played the rockets obviously who were switching but you know they had hood sexton clarkson like those guys can at least create a shot for you uh, in ISO and we'll see how often those continue to go in. And just a little bit added color on the J.R. Smith situation. It's also bizarre because Cleveland has this collection of partial guarantees for next year, George Hill and Kyle Korver as well. But those guys do not have the same rules apply as J.R. Smith because J.R. Smith signed before the CBA. So there are kind of two different things in place. And something else to note with J.R. is while there is certainly a logic to, to waiting and that you can make that move and basically help a team clear space, theoretically, they could also make that trade now. But the challenge is that the other teams are not necessarily under that time pressure. And something else to watch here is whether at any point in this process, J.R. Smith would be willing to walk away from some or all of that partial guarantee for next year, because while that still would, the Cavs would lose a trade asset, at least they wouldn't have to pay him. And J.R. Smith could do that as an olive branch of sorts to sign with a new team. Incidentally, that is something Shabazz Muhammad did last year, though Shabazz Muhammad made a pretty massive mistake in doing so. So at a great time at the new Fiserv Forum last Monday, flew into Chicago, uh, my wife and I drove drove up there tried to do that annually when i go back to chicago because the local nba team is not much good got some fantastic seats on SeatGeek to, to check out that beautiful new arena SeatGeek has taken the complexity out of buying tickets there's tons of sites there's varying levels of reliability so it's always hard to know a who to trust uh, and b who might have a good deal but now SeatGeek aggregates ticket sellers together and every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence you make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything from sports and concerts to comedy and theater my listeners can get ten dollars off their first SeatGeek purchase download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code CAPSPACE today easy remember CAPSPACE to talk about it all the time on the program that's promo code cap space for ten dollars off your first seat geek purchase seat geek life's an event we have the tickets all right, well, this is a, a good chance to talk more about the Sacramento Kings who have been in the news a ton. They sit at 10 and 10 
three and four in their last seven their negative 2.7 net rating is only 23rd in the nba 22nd ranked offense their defense is 19th they project for 30 wins per 538 which would put them 14th in the brutal western conference let's just start by talking about the news that uh dave yeager potentially could be under fire certainly interesting timing to leak that uh, indications seem to be that that was coming from the king side of things uh, not yeager's although it probably actually helped make Jaeger a sympathetic figure and very difficult to argue in fact uh, that Jaeger in terms of the results on the court hasn't been doing a great job I do expect the Kings to regress some from where they've been I, it seems like that's a, a start already though they played well against the Warriors uh, without two of their four stars on Saturday but what do you make Danny of these reports that Yair could be in trouble in part because he's not playing the Kings young guys enough there's always this challenge when you have a front office and a coach and this is something actually Dan Feldman and I talked about when he came on Real GM Radio of this point of friction that exists for a reason between what coaches are usually present focused winning as many games and then the front office is looking for the present and the future and so guys like Bagley and and Harry Giles among them maybe maybe you could argue Frank Mason versus Yogi Ferrell but that's a little bit of a different conversation and Nemanja Bielitsa is starting for the Sacramento Kings because Nemanja Bielitsa gives them the best chance to win games in the immediate he's definitely helped out we've talked about that in previous 1560s I think he, just the four spacing and everything else so from Jaeger's perspective I, I get all that but it, it, it can be frustrating when the team is exceeding expectations which they absolutely still are to see it be like well you should play the young guys more well if they play the young guys more they would lose more often that's that that's the challenge there and there is a happy medium and I think they're getting closer there I mean I thought Bagley played very well overall in the loss to Golden State he ended up playing more at center because Willie Cauley-Stein got in foul trouble throughout that game and as somebody who believes that Bagley is unambiguously a center eventually I think that he just looks a lot better especially defensively at that position still has a long long way to go as a defender especially learning kind of where his place and everything is and reading the game kind of the life experience element of playing center in the NBA but his physical tools to me make so much more sense there and considering Willie Cauley-Stein is pretty established as the starting center it's a much more complicated situation for Dave Yeager to navigate yeah and he's started playing those guys together a little bit we saw that at the end of the Warriors game but Bagley really doesn't provide enough spacing at the four and after the game Yeager is kind of talking about how useful it is to have spacing and like Willie rim running and stuff is which I don't want to read too much into it but I did think it was interesting that when he closed the game with Bagley at the four, he would be talking up how good it is to have Bielitsa out there. Uh, so I do think that Jaeger deserves a, a ton of credit for getting the Kings uh, to play faster. I mean, that's the what's really keeping their offense afloat here. Yeah, and it was absolutely striking. I mean, because you see it on TV. I've watched a lot of the Kings. Actually, really, one of my favorite teams to watch this year, and a significant portion of that is because they run so much. And it is a, com- a combination of forces, but a lot of it is intention. So last year, the Kings were 23rd in transition frequency off a live rebound and 21st off a steal. So that's just the frequency of how how often you get a transition. I think it's a bucket or a turnover. This is cleaning the glass stats. This year, they've gone from, you know, 20s on both those to second in both in frequency, which is also absolutely massive in combination with running off makes because Sacramento has not been a particularly efficient half-court offense. That's not really a big surprise. I mean, their personnel isn't all the way there yet. It's going to take some time. So they've taken six percent of their possessions from half court to transition where they're dramatically more efficient and so their offense has been massively helped i mean they're 22nd in offense this year and you might say oh that's not great but i mean it's a whole lot better than where they were yeah and i asked uh, jaeger about that after the game how it was that he'd managed to, to get the kings to run so much when you know this wasn't even necessarily his identity as a coach and uh, here's what he had to say about that a more general question um just the pace that you guys play with it has been amazing. Even after makes, you're getting shots or so. How have you been able to impart that to the the team this year? Is it just you know? Are you doing more drills to emphasize that? Is it just telling the guys that? Like, this is why my this why my, my why I don't have a voice right now. Go go go! So, yeah, it's 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 fun. Uh, it's given us an identity. Uh, we feel it's best for how we're how we're built. Uh, having a stretch four on the floor gives De'Aaron a lot of room. Um, Willie's strength is rim running and running, uh, and that gives him room to do that. He's playing one-on-one a lot of times uh, within 15 feet of the paint, and so we've got room for drives, opening up shots for Buddy Heald in transition. Um, and, and number one thing is we feel like we have one of the fastest point guards in the league, and it gives him a lot of space. 
right, let's move to some questions now here. One, Ethan Strauss, where does the Kings roster rank among rosters you'd want over the next five years? And I, I think I want to take it just a little bit differently because, you know, Strauss can't write. He doesn't know how to really express himself. Uh, but no, seriously, thanks for the question, dude. Uh, but to just say, you know, which would you want the most in, in five years, right? I mean, obviously, you know, the war, we're talking more about the prospects, their young core, basically, as opposed to, you know, obviously the Warriors would probably be number one over the, and the Celtics, you know, I mean, it doesn't seem like the same category. Um, so why don't we just look at it in terms of, hey, young cores here, who, how do the Kings stack up uh, with some of these other teams? Something to say at the outset here is that partially because Vlade drafted and acquired guys that played in college a long time, the quote unquote young core for the Kings, not exclusively because De'Aaron Fox is young, but a lot of the guys are actually older. Buddy Heald, using basketball reference ages, which is often what we do on the show, Buddy Heald, 25, Cully Stein, 25, Bogdanovich doesn't even count as a young core guy. He's 26 already because of all the time he's been in Europe. So really, for me, when we're focusing on young core, I think you can mention Heald and Cully Stein. They just have to go to the side a little bit because they're so much closer to their primes. And, you know, five years from now, Buddy Heald's going to be 30. And De'Aaron Fox, 21, Bagley, 19, Harry Giles, 20. And I really like De'Aaron Fox. I want to do an in-depth breakdown on him at some point in the next month, probably one of the next two 15 and 60s. But he can really help set the tone for them offensively. And then Bagley, I said that he, to me, is more of a five than a four. But I think he can absolutely be a capable one. And there, you know, he's not the best four spacer yet, but the being comfortable from, let's say, like mid-range to long two range is a lot more valuable as a center than it is as a four because that's standard procedure for a four. And I expect him to extend that range out over time. And then defensively, he's a lot better. My concern and why I would have them probably, I don't have a specific ranking because I would have to rank everybody else, but why they'd be a little bit lower is that what the Sacramento team needs, even if we're counting in Cauley Stein and or Heald, is quality at the forward spots. Justin Jackson, you know, he's, I don't, I don't think of him as being that great. I, I don't, I don't see a starter in there with him. And that's a really hard thing to get. I mean, we, they would probably want somebody who's more on the scorer side, somebody who's more on the defensive side, or ideally both. And they can, there's, they have a boatload of cap space. They have their picks after this coming season, but that's really, really hard to get. So I, I, I like De'Aaron Fox a lot. I, I'm more, I'm happier with Bagley now than I was, let's say Saturday before I'd seen him in person again, after he got swallowed up by Jordan Bell and then some of the other summer league stuff over the off season. So I'm more positive on them, but they need a lot. Well, all right. So let's do a little lightning round here. Here's some of the other teams that have young cores and you've got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on the Celtics. I think I like those guys better than the Kings guys. The Hawks, you're talking about Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Torian Prince is 24, John Collins. Yeah, I think they're probably about the same. Uh, you know, I mean, a lot of it depends on Fox. You know, if you see Fox as a future superstar, which I'm not sure that I see him as a future superstar. I see him as, you know, kind of a, more of a, an evolutionary Mike Conley type of player, I, I think, which is, you know, a very good player, but not necessarily a guy who's going to be a top three point guard in the NBA. But, you know, it's very hard to... Yeah, that that's actually a way of, I like thinking about it is all NBA. Yeah. Like, that I think Fox could be an all NBA guy, but probably not like an MVP type player. Yeah, even all NBA would be, I don't think that that's, you know, I mean, maybe he could kind of be in the John Wall, all right, you made it one year and then they give you a, a enormous contract that ends up being bad. Uh, how about Brooklyn? Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, you know, you could maybe throw D'Angelo Russell in there. He's having a, a better season. Um, you know, those would probably be the, the guys there. Um, you know, probably about the same, I would say. You know, I, I think LeVert, eh, you know, it's tough to say i mean it, and i don't know if lavert and allen have the ceiling of bagley and fox but you know, i think they're closer to playing well at this point um nah, maybe that's not true fox he's very difficult to evaluate especially because you know he's shooting 38 percent from three right now we'll see whether that continues chicago i would have them over chicago i like marketing if he takes a step up this year but i, I like De'Aaron fox as the as the number one guy and then you yeah. know i mean Levine, Dunn is, it's similar that he's old yeah that's true i mean i think i like marketing yeah, Levine is because he both better than Bagley. That's true. I had forgotten that also that Levine still counts, yeah. Yeah, but he absolutely does. Yeah, he totally counts. The, another benefit of drafting guys young. 
And yeah, so I mean, and, and let's, we can go through it quickly because we'll do a whole podcast on this. I'm sure. Yeah, and then there there are a whole bunch of other ones like that. I I think are too clearly like I mean the Sixers and the Nuggets and teams like yeah. that. They're they're obviously ahead of the yeah. Kings. Lakers. I mean, we don't need to. Uh, that's an interesting one. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah. No. I, I, so even even Phoenix. Yeah. You know, I mean, with Bridges, Booker, Aiton, Aiton, Booker. I mean, Booker for all his flaws has reached a level far beyond where any of these other guys have been. Um. I, I was talking to a uh, a guy who works in the NBA who's known to fire from the hip on occasion but he said Devin Booker looks really fat to him and he's not going to try anymore now that he got paid uh just relating that opinion I don't know if I agree with that or not uh I do think he looks a little heavy right now um so yeah that's uh it wouldn't be incredibly high uh, unfortunately and again you know we're at 20 games here let's see how the Kings look at the end of the season Fox in particular I mean Fox is the guy you know I think Bagley is gonna get his points and rebounds you know he's he's very limited uh in terms of his moves right now always goes left but obviously has a ton of physical talent whether he can impact winning or not it is going to be the big question i think fox is doing that right now but th- there's a lot of teams that have a lot more established young players uh let's do a couple more questions here on the Kings since we're focusing on them so much somebody asked what uh, uh what the kings can get at small forward it's from uh sherilyn clark and they don't have a first round pick at this point this year. They could theoretically acquire one by taking on money at or before the trade deadline, or maybe theoretically around the draft itself. They can just kind of have a deal structured in place. And they could also, one way of doing this, I've heard Otto Porter's name thrown around with them a fair amount, is by taking on, you know, taking on somebody who is a good player, but might be overpaid or just isn't ill fit for their team. I think a trade is actually the most likely way that this happens. And the big reason why is because their team is so young that it's hard to get a free agent that's the right age for them because all the all the those guys are restricted and restricted guys are hard to pry away or it's not the right fit like the restricted guys that become available are gettable might not be right for them like stanley johnson would be a strange fit with this team there are a few other guys like that so maybe you trade for somebody who has one or two years left on their contract you go in that direction and maybe it works out and you you sign them moving forward or you use a draft pick in 2020 or something on it yeah, i mean the kings have as much as 60 million in cap space. they don't have anyone on their team under contract contract past uh, this season who's been making more than 8.6 million dollars yeah i think porter is actually someone who could help them now is it a question of just taking him on taking him into cap space they remember they were rumored as a team that was going to make him that offer and that's that's an interesting one to think about it just like if washington want, would want to just give him up for nothing essentially into cap space are we talking about creating an actual nene test because that would be very exciting for me <laughs> with the team that made the nene trade in the first place which players from the last two drafts would you rather have over fox as country billy uh again this is getting into our prospect rankings a little bit but uh, off the top of my head here and again this is with not a ton of research yet but clearly would rather have Luka Doncic, Jaron Jackson. That might be it in the clearly section from this draft. And then from 2017, I mean, we've already said that he's playing the best out of any anyone else that you would say would clearly you would take over faults. You know, you would have in a higher tier maybe in our prospect rankings from the 2018 draft. No, I don't think so. And from 17, there I don't know that there's anybody clearly. I mean, that's one of the downsides of Markel Fultz having what's been wrong with him. But I would have still Donovan Mitchell over Fox, just what he did last year. Yeah. I think was really impressive. and Fox is un- right. yeah and Tatum would be too because especially because Tatum plays a position of of intense scarcity that's a, a really important thing to consider when you're doing this and we we do when we consider prospect rankings and there, there are a bunch of guys that would be in a kind of a similar conversation but maybe not like I would rather have De'Aaron Fox than DeAndre Eaton for example concur yeah but I think so probably only four guys who just obviously to me you know Tatum and Mitchell and then Doncic and Jackson from this year oh and of course I definitely also have Josh Jackson over him yeah yeah it, it was not that wait different. it wasn't off the top of my head wasn't there something like phoenix because they had so many point guards that's why they didn't draft Aaron fox <laughs> isn't that right like that was a year that was less than a year and oh a half ago God. and was was part of the rationale now they have zero point guards good lord so as a person who professionally is incredibly dependent upon having good wi-fi i know that life is too short for bad wi-fi i mean when we've got the nba cast we've got this podcast we record almost all these on over the internet when i moved into our new house i found that just having one router was not cutting it the house was too big but the euro home wi-fi system has now brought a fast reliable connection to every room of our house the second generation euro the euro beacon they allow you to build a wi-fi 
system that's perfectly tailored to your home and then when you add eero plus you can get total network protection with the ability to block malicious and unwanted content across your entire network it's great if you have a family Eero Plus prevents you from accidentally visiting malicious sites, but doesn't slow anything down. They have a database of millions of known threats. Also, again, great for kids. Eero Plus tags sites that contain violent, illegal, or adult content, so you can choose what your kids can and can't visit right from their app. You can also get rid of annoying ads and pop-ups on all your devices, not just your computer, and it improves load times, their ad blocking does, for ad-heavy sites so you can browse and stream faster than ever before. So you don't have to think about your Wi-Fi. Again, you can get $100 off the Eero base unit and two beacons package and a year of Eero Plus. Just visit Eero, E-E-R-O dot com slash Capspace and enter the code Capspace at checkout. Easy remember, we talk about Capspace all the time here on the program. That's E-E-R-O dot com slash Capspace and enter code Capspace at checkout. So we did the Kings. Uh, let's talk about the Phoenix Suns now. They sit at 4 and 15, 2 and 4 since the last uh, 15 and 16. I'm going to put 8 minutes on. On the timer here to hit some questions for them their negative 9.6 net rating is 28th in the nba that's actually quite improved from where they were 28th ranked offense 29th ranked defense they project for 24 wins even after playing a little bit better and that big win that they had in milwaukee so where would you like to start with these guys let's start with one from robert pollock with the way tj warren has been playing slash shooting could you see a playoff team trading for him and i want to start this with a little flashback at the end end of November last season, everyone was going nuts because Aaron Gordon was shooting 44% from three on 5.3 attempts per game. He ended up finishing the season at 34%, which I believe was still better than he had done before that. And that was with missing a bunch of time. And the point that I'm getting at here is not like, oh, every guy who does well at the beginning of the season fails or anything like that. It's that this is not enough of a sample to say that TJ Warren is a shooter definitively or anything like that. Now, if he can shoot, it is a significant boon for the Suns, whoever theoretically would acquire him tj warren after this season three years 35 million and that looks a lot better if he can be more versatile offensively but we're not all the way there yet would i think there are some teams that would see him as a positive value probably a small one just because to me he's more of a backup than a starter you know he could be a talented a talented second unit guy but and he's about properly paid for those types of players so maybe the suns could get something especially if they could take on some money like for this year maybe it's a guy who makes a little bit more or somebody who has a contract that is onerous but has a different structure something like that maybe off the top of my head somebody like Myers Leonard so yeah I could see a playoff team trading for him but I don't think they're going to see him as the missing piece just somebody who can help them yeah right now 31 to 68 from downtown 46 percent and I think the last few years he'd been like right at 90 attempts or so and he you know was shooting in the 20s so he certainly looks more comfortable I, uh, there's something more real this I don't think he's the same guy that he was he's really worked on things now for guys to take this this kind of a leap in terms of both volume and accuracy is very rare. You know, there's certainly going to be a regression. He's not going to shoot 46% all year. But even if he can be adequate as a spot-up shooter, he used to be a very difficult fit, right? Because while he is a talented scorer, he was never great defensively. And if he couldn't shoot, when he didn't have the ball in his hands, it was a struggle for him because you could just help off of him with impunity. Now, I think you... you it's pretty clear that he's a solid offensive player. He also never turns the ball over. Still is, is an excellent finisher around the rim. It just has a, a great knack for it. Reasonably solid floater game as well. So, you know, and defensively, he's not inadequate as far as his tools. He's never been great, but, you know, he's willing to at least try to get out on the floor and pressure on occasion. But why wouldn't they just want to keep him? I mean, uh, like, like why why are you trying to trade him? What are you trying to trade him for? Are you trying to get a first-round pick? Eh, you know, given where he's paid, that's probably not going to happen. Maybe you get that first round pick if as you mentioned you know you trade him for a Myers Leonard type of contract take on some bad money in addition to trading away someone who can play a little bit but I don't understand why there's the rush to play him like he's actually if he and Bridges together actually are not a terrible combo now when they go against Blake Griffin like they did on Sunday it's a struggle they just basically had to double team Blake Griffin that's why he had 11 assists uh you know they don't have anyone with a, a ton of halves but given how limited they are at power forward like why not hold on to him you know and see if uh he can continue to develop i mean this is like great strides that he's made here i don't they're a young team he's pretty young like why why is everyone like want to move him especially because they don't have a ton of cap space so i mean might as well just see what you have in him as some kind of let some of these other pieces filter out and he could absolutely make it as a as a part of their rotation so yeah i, I agree with
with you on that. We got a question from KG about how real is Mikhail Bridges' impact on team's net rating. Well, I think it's overstated and it's more that it correl- like it's a correlation, not a causation. This is just an amazing stat for me. So I looked at the kind of the combined on-off, De'Aaron, sorry, not De'Aaron, Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges. When Booker has played without Bridges, the Suns are the Suns have a 102 offensive rating and a negative 14.4 net rating. When those two are playing together, 118 offensive rating plus 16 net rating. I don't think there's something to do this. I think this is correlation causation. It's just when they played, it's correlation. When they played well, you know, they, they had this rough start to the season that happens, you know, for teams at, at various moments in time, but it wasn't necessarily predictive of where they were going. This is more like the team that I expected to see, but I do think Bridges helps them to be sure. Well, and keep in mind that the player who's he's gotten his minutes at the expense of is Josh Jackson, who has a negative 14.7 net rating. And Jackson, I, I think finally with the fact that he's lost minutes to Bridges, he's trying a little bit more to play a more modern game, not going to just jack up terrible long twos the way he had been. I think that's gotten him a little bit. I've just noticed him being a little more judicious in games I've seen of him since he really you know went behind Bridges in the rotation. But uh, Bridges is starting. They've been much more competitive with him out there. And it just, he's the sort of player where, you know, he's a little skinny. He's not an unbelievable individual defender, but he knows where to be. He isn't someone that you're just going to look at as, as someone who could be taken advantage of. And he's someone that you have to guard on the perimeter. And he's just a smarter player than a lot of the guys that, that he's been replacing, Jackson uh, among them. And so, yeah, I mean, do I think that they're going to have a positive net rating with him on the floor at the end of the season? No, probably not. You know, they're 6.8. Everyone else, uh, the next highest guy on the team is negative 4.3. That's Booker. But that's actually encouraging. If they could play even negative four basketball with Devin Booker on the floor and Aiton is at negative 4.4, that's a significant step forward for this team that was one of the worst of all time. Uh, And, you know, I think Kakashkov deserves credit for just going with the guys that worked and they really are significantly improved from where they were the last time we talked about them two weeks ago when you know i mean they had they're on pace for one of the worst seasons of all time at, at that point so they really have gotten a lot better you know they had a, a they've been competitive in pretty much every game like they had been blown out in every road game when we talked about them two weeks ago and i think they've been competitive in every game on the road since then and they had a nice blowout win of san antonio at home in addition to that win over the bucks and i think bridges is a big part of that. let's do one more we have 30 seconds left. let's do one more real quickly well actually before we get yeah. there one really quick thing a negative four net rating that's about what brooklyn and the knicks did last year that's a whole lot better i mean than than what they were but the last question let's do from nick jeffers does a collison trevor reza trade make sense for both sides and the answer is yeah kind of the problem for indiana is just that they have to fill those point guard minutes maybe they feel that holiday and joseph can can shoulder the burden i think collison's actually a pretty solid fit when his shot is going in with victor oladipo and for phoenix sure i mean he just having another guy out there who can kind of play on and off the ball and capably run an offense would be very useful for them so yeah i i could see it definitely from phoenix's side and there's a matter of taste for indiana but there's a rationale for it from my perspective i guess so i I don't really see collison who is not playing well this year as helping the suns that that much and why you would want to trade for and, and they've actually had some more success just starting Booker at point guard. I think that's been another reason why they've played better recently is just, you know, playing their terrible point guards less. But I mean, what's the point of trading Ariza away? I mean, that you're that's still going to be a downgrade on the floor this season. They could just sign Collison in free agency if they wanted to later. You know, I think they can do better than him next year. So, well, I can tell you the rationale. Yeah. The rationale is if you want to get the idea of whether the reason Devin Booker is doing better as the primary ball handler is because the other ones suck and having that information before next offseason they're going to have a really high draft pick is a very good piece of information to have okay yeah i think that's reasonable um i still think they could you know maybe if they were able to get some kind of an asset in that deal as well that would make more sense but i think ariza has, has so much more value than collison that you know I yeah would, i would agree with that too that. Uh, let's move to portland now 12 and 8 12 and 5 since the last 15 and 60 some have been two and five oh, sorry, yes thank you since last 15 and uh some have been pointing to their schedule which has been a difficult one but they got blown up by the Warriors who really have not blown out anybody else uh they got completely destroyed by the Bucks as well they lost at home to the Clippers last night 2.0 net rating is 12th in the NBA 7th in offense 18th now in defense they project for 44 wins which would get them the 8th seed by the skin of their teeth 
this is a really interesting question here if dame lillard gets all nba this year should the blazers give him the designated max as uh francis mac francis uh, i believe a patreon subscriber thank you for that uh so uh, why don't you give us some of the relevant statistics uh, for us to make this decision this would look very similar to the john wall extension because lillard has two more seasons under contract and then it would add four years after that and it, w- it wouldn't affect the, the current years at all and since lillard is 28 now the first he would be 31 when the new years on that extension start so that would be 2021-22 and the 35% max they could theoretically negotiate anywhere from 30 to 35% will be calculated on that 2021-22 cap and considering the raises that we're seeing over even over the next few years even without the 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 spike due to the national tv deal that could be an absolute ton of money i don't i haven't seen a cap estimate for 21-22 so i don't really want to give numbers on it but it'll be big bigger than john wallace bigger than a lot of those for for adding four years willard i think will age better than some of his peers because he's such an amazing shooter and and he also has gotten so much more craft finishing at the rim now some of that is based on being a ridiculous athlete i think willard's athleticism is underappreciated broadly and that that will wane by the time he's in his early to mid 30s but i think that the general answer here is that very few point guards because remember he's starting this at 31 would be positive at at 35 percent of the cap and the blazers you know they're I don't think they're looking for that piece, you know, th- th- so I would be reluctant to give him that sort of a deal at this point. Be- and you're also running into a risk there of waiting. Theoretically, let's say he's also eligible next year. You know, if he's eligible in 2020, that then you're adding a fifth season, new season, and that's even more expensive, theoretically, if he qualifies again. But I think I'd be uncomfortable with this. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It would be a really bad contract. Now, I think just a normal extension might make more sense. He's due 31.6 million in the 2020-21 season. So you could go three years on top of that this offseason, and you could start it as, a, as much as 120% of that. Now, that's something that he you know might be willing to do if he really wants to stay in Portland, and that would give them more time to build around him. But I expect him to start experiencing it gentle decline in a year or two so that's something that might be i think reasonable for player and team but it's just you know, i think psychologically for a guy who's been you know i mean his first team all nba last year although i think that was in part due to some of the injuries you know he wasn't the on a per play basis he's not the best point guard in the nba but because of some of the injuries last year that popped him up and he i mean i'm someone who's been higher on his effect and talent than just about anybody i think among our media cohorts but you know that would be reasonable and to only go three years and to not start at you know almost 40 million per season you know maybe you could do 33 million a year for three years or something like that you know that would be comparable to what Kyle Lowry got with the Raptors but remember too you're getting this two years in advance so you're taking the team is taking on two years of injury and performance decline risk to sign this up I don't think that would happen but I actually think it would be uh, reasonable for both sides so no I mean I it is going to be difficult though I mean if he is eligible and by the way if he makes it this year he's he's not only eligible this year but he would automatically be eligible the next year also to get the five that's year right because he will have made it two years in a row no matter what happens next year so in the summer of 2020 he'd be eligible for uh the five year but i mean this is lillard he was drafted in 2012 but you know what is he three four years older than anthony davis so you really just have to wonder about even giving him the four extra years now i mean to go from 31 to 34 35 and it's just it's not going to be a good contract there's no way and it's not like they have something that's just like so good right now that you want to pay on the front i mean i I think to me if i'm portland you kind of see how it goes this year once you trade him of course he's not eligible for that but he could be eligible for an extension a regular extension elsewhere if he gets traded so yeah i mean this is uh it's a very difficult question to be sure right, we we got time for another couple here real quickly one from cody caldo the second unit began the season strong but it seems like they've come back to earth what do you expect from them going forward and after sunday's loss to the clippers the blazers they went from actually a slight negative net rating to a slight positive net rating when lillard and mccallum are off the floor but what that is is a bad offense and a great defense i mean their defensive rating in those lineups is a 1019 which is insanely good yeah and if and, you were to ask and, and me they got which seth of those... curry and nick stauskas are part of those lineups so i'm not expecting that to yeah and, and actually caleb swanigan is in the most used iteration of that as well Wait, no, he's no, not no, in right. all of the... it is because they've used all these other lineups that are similar 
lists, technically speaking. He's not, he's only been in for like a hundred of those positions, but it is the most used lineup of the 400, yeah, 418. That's, that's it's kind of funny. garbage time unit, though, I bet you. Like, I, I, that, it Maybe. wouldn't surprise me if that's, because he really has played very Like, it's just not there. all the way filtered. Yeah. Well, there was that one stretch when they had a couple guys that were hurt that he played a little bit more. But anyway, that even if we're we're counting the biggie minutes, we're not counting them. That's still not a. Uh, I, I mean, the defense is not going to continue at that level. Offensively, I think they can be a little bit better. But the the crux of this to me is that if they can be treading water or close to it when those guys are off the floor, great. I mean, because then you can play Lillard and CJ more together because you hope to have the advantage in those minutes. The idea is basically always how close can you get to treading water because. The hope is that you're going to outscore teams in the other minutes. So if they can do that, and I think in the regular season, I mean, those lineups would get absolutely shellacked in the playoffs. But in the regular season, I think you give it a little bit more time and you start to dab- maybe dabble a little bit with staggering those guys again, because that is what they're going to have to do in the playoffs. And But they, I think they should be happy overall with how it's gone. What is the crunch time lineup for the Blazers in the playoffs? I think to, really the only position to me that's up in the air is center. Sots has actually been playing Myers Leonard a disturbing amount, by the way. And like, you know, this is one of those coaching redemption things where it's like, oh, he's actually shown some flashes of confident competence when he was absolutely terrible before so coaches want to believe in like the guy's improvement but yeah no i'm sorry like he should not be playing at the end of games uh you know they played him over nurkic the other night against the clippers which seemed insane to me uh but really the question is collins or nurkic i I think to me harkless who rejoined the starting lineup against the clippers looked a little more spry than we'd seen from him so far which is good but you know i think aminu harkless dame cj like those are the guys who should be out there and then i think it just depends on what you need more i mean collins offers some more mobility although i think as a switch guy is a little overrated a little more rim protection nurkic better pick and roll plays better offensively more offensive rebounding than collins it can post up against switches so i think it just depends on the matchup of what you're going to go with i think you know probably you'll see more of collins just due to his superior mobility i mean we saw that nurkic just failed trying to guard the pelicans last year for example uh okay got one more here the san antonio spurs nine and ten a rough two and six in their last eight negative 1.1 net rating is 19th in the nba they somehow have the ninth ranked offense despite it is something that you've talked about extensively their crazy shot distribution where they're basically number 30 in shots at the rim number 30 in percentage of threes though they're actually percentage of shots of threes although they've been shooting well from three and then they just take a ton of mid-rangers although they do have two of the better mid-range artists in the league in lamarcus and and derozan so their defense is 23rd that's pretty rough and they project for only 38 wins which would be 12th in the conference Pau gasol remains out for the spurs with a, a sore right foot i mean he's been out almost a month now i think that that's really hurt them gasol is still especially in san antonio's system an effective regular season player uh protecting the basket and then you know just provide some stability and some know-how on the second unit but let's get into the questions here where do you want to start well we didn't ask any of the auto porter questions for the for the blazers so we might as well have an auto porter question for the spurs it's amazing you got asked questions for so many different teams so randall asked would an auto porter trade be feasible and make sense for the spurs san antonio is actually in a different part of this conversation because of their financial situation san antonio they don't really function in all likelihood as a cap team in 1920 so the opportunity cost is a little bit different now you probably have to include Pau Gasol in the deal because they just, in order to get up to a matching salary, it's one of the ways to make it work. And I don't think they'd want to lose somebody like Rudy Gay in the deal because Rudy Gay could really, really help them. And he's a lot cheaper than Otto Porter. But a guy who is a low usage offensive player who can space the floor and then can compete defensively, I think the Spurs would use Porter's limitations. They'd be able to address those and, and use his strengths as a defender, which incidentally is not physical strength. They could use that well. So I think he would be a nice fit in that way if you ignored the contract. And the salary structure for him is actually pretty similar to what they're dealing with with their other guys so yeah i think maybe you could do it the problem is that it depending on how you structure it it means they have very little flexibility for next summer and then probably not a ton for 2020-21 might be worth it so i think they they could consider it but if there are probably other teams with better offers out there yeah i mean they desperately need a three and d guy on the wing that's why it was really such a shame that they included danny green in that trade with the raptors with Kawhi leonard as well 
I mean, I, I always felt that Danny Green, despite the fact that he came up with the Spurs and they built his career up from nothing, uh, was criminally underrated by the Spurs and Greg Popovich, and they never played him enough. And, you know, maybe that was the case. Also, he was playing hurt last year, but maybe that was the case as they moved to it. Now they desperately need someone. Uh, you know, Rudy Gay is having to guard some of the the best wing player on the other team. I mean, of course, their, their defense uh, isn't very good this year. Uh, thoughts on LaMarcus Aldridge's struggles offensively and the Spurs slump? Well, Aldridge had just an unbelievable year last year, uh, and I can't remember exactly where I picked him, but, you know, I, for much of the year, he was my first team All-NBA center, and he just was fantastic for them. But at his age we thought that he was going to regress that's a big part of why i was a little lower on the spurs than a lot of people were and so this isn't entirely unexpected to put his struggles in perspective 48 percent true shooting 17 per and the big problem has been that mid-range shooting that he so relies on and also even around the rim he's not been great 61 percent is not good and then uh on twos outside of the paint he's at about 33 percent so far this year and just not taking any threes at all i mean it looked like he was going to start taking some threes his first year in san antonio and then he's just completely moved away from that same thing with DeRozan. so i do yeah, yeah. i mean to lamarcus zero for nine from three this year uh, i expect him to play better obviously i mean he is a, a solid shooter but you know i always felt a regression was coming here if he could start to get close to last year's level i mean he's 33 right now if he can start to get close to last year's level then you know maybe this team can become a pretty good offense but i think they've actually punched above their weight a little bit in offense so far this year to be ninth as we talked about i mean the three-point shooting they got some pretty good shooters on this team now guys like forbes and patty mills but they are number one in the nba shooting 39 percent from three so if that declines even a little bit with their shot mix it, it's going to be very difficult for them they do avoid turnovers i expect that to continue that's something that aldridge will always be good at DeRozan will always be good at um they do get to the foul line some but I mean they're 25th in the NBA in e-field goal percentage and I expect that to really only go down at, at this point because I don't see them leading the NBA in three-point shooting percentage it's remarkable that they have you know the ninth best offense and that low in e-field goal percentage and a lot of that as I said in a previous 1560s that they never turn the ball over it really does help and they've, they've been doing a pretty good job of getting to the free throw line as well one of the benefits of having DeMar DeRozan on your team Bill Einstein asked if they should take a swing on Markel Fultz Eisenstein. for me the answer here Bill, is Bill Eisenstein Eisenstein sorry the answer for me here is is no and that is because they already have DeJounte Murray DeJounte Murray is a way way better player and has you know not similar limitations I think Murray's shot is meaningfully less broken than Marco Fultz's at this point in their respective careers and there were inklings that Murray's shot was going to be a lot better this year before he went down with that torn ACL and there isn't really a way to structure a Fultz trade that is mutually beneficial there are other teams we did that whole fake podcast and part of the reason the Spurs didn't come up was because it, it isn't really easy to make to make anything like that work I don't think San Antonio is interested in taking on like Patty Mills's money or something like that so I, I don't expect to see that and you mean Philly isn't interested in taking Albert, Patty Mills money yes yeah I mean do yes. they have any expiring contracts uh, San Antonio Rudy Gay but they yeah. want Rudy Gay yeah I guess so I mean I think if they fall out of it though I I, I would want to I agree with you it's difficult to see a good conception here but to me they need more talent on this team I know they have Murray but he's a question mark coming off the turn ACL his shooting was a question mark before then you know I thought he was getting a little bit overrated just because he was on the Spurs and he was starting it was very good defensively but you know you don't know where where he's going to be i mean they just need some more outs on this team like they don't have enough young talent i don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year and where are they then as a, a franchise you know i mean they just need to get some more talent to be the next generation of the spurs but i i agree with you and i'm not sure what they can do in terms of trading someone because the sixers are not going to be interested in taking on long-term money you know maybe marco bellinelli could go back to the sixers they're quite familiar with him but he does have 5.8 million next year how's that marco signing working out by the way uh you know maybe they brought in Jakob Pertl you know I guess he's young enough that they want to keep him around Dante Cunningham's not gonna help the Sixers much I mean you know there might have to be some kind of a draft pick compensation and with the Spurs not looking like they're gonna be a perennial playoff team going forward right now I mean they could turn around I'm not gonna write them off completely yet for this year but you know draft pick compensation becomes difficult but I think they absolutely should try to acquire him especially because they got Chip England who supposedly is this amazing shooting coach again I think his contributions are a little bit overrated as well all right let's do uh, one more here well so 
Han asked, will the Spurs make the playoffs? And I think we can phrase this a little bit differently, which is, what do you think it would take for the Spurs to make the playoffs? Because I think both of us would say it's, you know, it's below 50% now. And offensively, they have the path. I think having Pau Gasol in their second unit will really help and just getting a little bit more stable contribution from their non-starters would, would be there. And then defensively, so right now, San Antonio's 23rd, you know, teams are, and they're not they're not fouling anybody, which they, they never really do. Yeah, I don't see how they get better defensively that's what's gonna have to happen yeah i, I mean so I, I guess they'd have maybe they get a, they execute a little bit better teams make fewer shots as well something in, in that realm and then offensively they keep it up maybe they take a few maybe a few more threes maybe you know get to the line a little I mean, bit more even just, though they're like, already 10th in the league Greg popovich like has his philosophy it's very clear to me that it's so odd like these guys were on the forefront in 2014 of playing beautiful basketball and playing analytically friendly basketball and now they just have have fallen back into this iso mid-range style and yeah part of that's aldridge part of it is uh, Kawhi's strengths uh, back when he was on the team part of those DeRozan's strengths but like is their personnel really that different from the raptors last year in terms of like the three-point shooters that they have uh, around two guys who supposedly are going to attract the defensive attention it just they don't seem to value the right things uh, offensively and i just don't think the personnel is good enough defensively at, at this point now maybe aldridge can start playing a lot better and the three-point shooting will keep up but i'm just i'm not sure i just don't believe in these guys especially because there's just like if memphis and the clippers like some of these teams around them had been struggling you know we talked about this uh, with memphis for example who's played far better than the spurs so far this year if those teams were struggling and there just wasn't as much competition for the playoffs i might feel better about their chances but i'm just i'm not a believer in this team's talent right now like i think the loss of Something Murray else. was just so devastating for their defense it was and something else that's different about the Spurs this year is that they're not well and I think you've said before that you think this is overstated that they've lost a lot of games against to bad teams or to teams that are less talented arguably than they are so like they already lost to Phoenix Sacramento is looking a lot better but still I, I would say that the Spurs are more talented than they are and they the San Antonio has to win basically all of those games and then fighting chance against the middle tier and then any games they pull from the top are bonuses but that that is the foundation behind this team being a playoff team is just beating like Chicago beating Phoenix when they come into town, you know, all those type of games or yeah. the Orlando Magic. Granted, they beat they lost Orlando last year too. There, but those there types aren't that of many games. of those teams anymore though. At That's also not, really yeah. true. And 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 there also aren't barely any in the Western Conference, which means that you only play the East teams twice. Now, maybe one reason to be optimistic is that when Rudy Gay has played, they've been pretty good and you know, he missed time, obviously, with that heel. But, you know, coming off the Achilles at his age, it's hard to expect that he's going to play all, all of their remaining games. I think he's limited in the number of minutes that he can play. But they really, I mean, they're so reliant on him because they have no other three men on the roster other than him. And even he is kind of more of a four at this point in time. And their fours aren't great either. I mean, it's either him or Dante Cunningham or Bertans, which is not exactly a, an awesome group there. Uh, okay, I think we can wrap it up here. Thanks so much for listening. And we'll be back to do a gamer tomorrow. Tomorrow night, Tuesday night, till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.